Hello and welcome to Money Info's latest edition of the Advisor Unplugged podcast. My name is Sim Sanger, the Business Development Director at Money Info, and I'm pleased to be joined today by David Ferguson, the CEO of Seckel. Hi, David. Hi, Sim. Great to see you. Yeah, you too. Be on your show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I think the last time we met David was um, probably well over 10, 12 years ago, some down some dodgy back street in Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> I, I, I should clarify, was that your your offices at the time? And um, <laughs> yeah. came to talk to you about what, what we were planning with, uh, with Money Info. And one of the things that stuck in my mind is you were very, very quick to decide to integrate with us um, in, in terms of pull, pushing platform data into Money Info yeah. when we had no clients, right? Um, and that, that was quite an interesting move because most of the providers we spoke to at the time were took the view why should we who's asking for it um we have our own portals etc but so I, I know we're here to talk about the you know the, the wonderful work you're doing at circle but just out of interest what, what made you make a bold move like that given yeah, it was improved? i think this is i think as a general um i guess we always believed in a, a directional trend of more digital engagement with clients, right? And and you guys were obviously probably pioneering that at the time, or certainly near the very edge of it. And it felt to me, it's always felt to me that ultimately the data that people like platforms um, have custody of is should be used as much as possible for the benefit of the client, right? And um, and it shouldn't be sort of have a wall garden round about it. And, and it's felt to me anything that we can do to allow um, advisors and their clients to understand what's going on a bit better is just like a bit of a no brainer, to be honest. I know that's not a universally held view, but the mm-hmm. the general, you know, I guess stance or hypothesis that, you know, no, no one system's ever going to do it, do everything or certainly not, 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 not well. for everybody anyway. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, you know, people that are doing interesting, helpful things sh- should be able to connect to each other in in the most positive way. And I think that was probably, yeah, taking me back to when I was a younger man. So I can't really remember <laughs> all the details, but it would have been something like that, I think, you know? Yeah, great. Well, uh, well, um, you know, moving on to um, Seckle, you know, for, for the listeners yeah. that may, may not be aware of Seckle, I believe it's, a, it's a, an abbreviation of Securities in the Cloud. That's yeah, what, not, not many people from. know that actually. It's kind of funny. Well, it was Dave Harvey that kind of uh, uh, yes. yeah, yeah. explained that one to me. So I've had a bit of an inside track there. But um, so, so for the listeners that probably aren't aware, you know, Seckle is um, a custodian and investment technology provider to advisors or DFMs that want to run their own platforms and also to fintechs as well. Indeed. Fintechs that need yeah. their own platform, want to get to market quicker. Yes. Um, what, what, what made you join? Um, so I think it, it felt like it felt like there was time for something new in the sector. We've had the kind of you know fun supermarket thing and the rap platform thing, and what I was really drawn to with Circle, although we weren't necessarily using language at that time, was this concept of we sort of call Circle an embedded platform where we've got all the capability of a, of an investment platform, but you can plug it into. Um, any number of user journeys on the front end of that. And it's actually in some ways an extension of the conversation we'd have had 12 years ago, I guess. Um, but um, it felt to me whether that's going out to fintechs, whether it's going out to advisor firms, DFMs, um, and, and even allowing different firms maybe to have several different client propositions on the front of our API and the product that sits behind that. 
Mm-hmm. It's felt incredibly exciting. So I, I'd kind of seen Seco from afar, I guess, you know, back, um, you know, over the, over the years since Dave and Hugo got it, got it off the ground and got it moving. And it looked really, really interesting from a technology point of view. And I, I have to say as well, I, I, I was very, very attracted to working with Octopus as a, as a shareholder in the business. That's been a, I think the combination of what we've got on the product and technology side and operational side together where the ownership is, was a really compelling uh, thing to be honest, and um, and and I, the business also had a very um, a very positive culture, which was you know there, there was some stuff we had to do, I think, just to try and maybe be a bit more delivery focused within that. But um, but fundamentally, it was set up to be a modern kind of corporate citizen that was trying to be a real force for good. So all those things combined, to be honest, I mean, um, you know, I got touched it earlier when I was after my last role, I left Nucleus, I was. I guess I was older than I was when I started Nucleus, inevitably, because that's how that's how life works, obviously. And um, it felt to me, I, I think I probably would have gone and done a startup, to be honest, if this opportunity hadn't uh, presented itself, because um, th- there weren't an awful lot of things out there that I felt were necessarily terribly well set for what was going to come next. So, um, yeah, it feels to me Seckle's got this combination of um, it's a, it's a technology and, and operational infrastructure, which can really have material positive change back by an organization which I'm just incredibly proud to be associated with and, and work within. Um, and then, you know, we're going to just try to move in the culture on a bit to be all the positives we had before um, in terms of um, trying to be, trying to be, you know, really, really drier of change, which is actually very consistent with Octopus, to be honest. Um, but also, um, also just get a bit more edge on delivery. Well, well, he's certainly got a, a feel of, you know, being the disruptor in the industry as well. You're already shaking a few feathers, just like you shook a few of the live company uh, provider <laughs> trees in the, in, in the past. But um, what, what would you say are the main problems that you're you're solving in the platform market? Or what do you see as the main well, problems in the platform market? I, I think um, I, I think that what, what I like to do, actually continuously, but certainly uh, periodically, is just stop and say, well, if the world stopped and we start this whole thing again how do we do it you know and i think sometimes the sector develops in a certain way that um you end up in a position where you wouldn't necessarily have you wouldn't necessarily go there if you if you were to start again and i think what sec- what we've got at the moment in in the platform market especially the advised platform market which i guess is the predominant audience here um is typically an outsourced uh, technology and operations vendor with an enormous amount of corporate overhead sitting on top of that and an enormous amount of target profit margin sitting on top of that that's been set as expectations for shareholders. And I think um, you know, the average revenue yield in the advisor platform market, say 25 basis points, mm-hmm. you know, in very, very broad terms, that might be about one third for the product and operations, one third for the corporate apparatus sitting on top of that and one third for the target profit margin. Okay. And I just think customers are dramatically overpaying for something that is actually insufficiently digital, not as good as it needs to be. And they're maybe paying two or three times what they could be, you know, and obviously sometimes clients are even paying over 30 basis points still for advisor platform, which is just seems, seems kind of wildly unacceptable. Now, I don't think, you know, as with all passage of history, I remember we launched um, Nucleus, you know, it, it, it didn't mean that choosing Scandia, 10 years earlier was a bad decision you know because it was it was a decision it was a good decision at that time but i think when we when we see how things move on in advance it means it's appropriate to revisit some of these decisions and see whether we're still doing this as well as we could be and i think you know technology's moved on enormously now and we're reaching 
you know, levels of efficiency in our business operationally and, and even things like deployment and maintenance costs that are just, just frankly much better, much, much tighter than anything we've ever seen. I mean, we do best part of 100,000 cash transactions a month with two people uh, working in, mm. in a team, which is just, I, I don't know what the people have got, but I think they've got 40, 50 people doing that sort of thing for that sort of yeah. level of activity. So you get in this kind of kind of hyper efficiency coming through, which obviously at the moment it's just a data point, but over the medium term, one would expect that, that to lead to um, you know kind of much more efficient, low cost uh, proposition for clients. Right. So so let's just stand the economics of the the platform model for yeah, for, for a second. And clearly, there's there's different versions of platform, right? Loads of different labels. Yeah. So you've got the traditional platforms, right? What you see is what you get, uh, but does does incredibly well. Um, just what it says on the tin. I, I would have put something like, you know, like a transact in that space. Yeah. Then you've got the, the, the white label platforms that gives us a little bit more customization about controlling the customer journeys to a certain degree, certainly yeah. with their corporate colors. You've got white label plus where um, an advisor firm probably maybe become an AR of yeah. the uh, platform as a service provider, but then they can also to a certain degree control the platform pricing. Yeah. Then you've got you on the other end of the spectrum, which I think the term that's evolving is advisor as platform, right? Yeah. Um, if if the platform earnings are broadly 25 to 30 bips, but they also cover the platform as a service or the regulatory and the, the kind of legal responsibilities that, that go along with that, where, where are the efficiencies created by going down the advisor as platform route? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I, I'm not sure the advisor platform is the right label, but I know it is the one that's being used, so I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll not be too big a yeah. we, we, we don't like to be called a client pool, right? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I think what's quite important is everybody's playing a role in the, in the in, in this in this part of the market in delivering a financial planning solution, right, or, or outcome for the client, right? And whether you're an asset manager, your platform, you're a retail platform, you're a DFM, whatever, you're all in that chain. That's why we prefer this language of an embedded platform, because we're kind of embedded into that financial planning process. But, but putting that to one side, yeah. I think I think what well, if I look at where we price Seckle, you know, there we probably priced at something like 30, 30-ish percent of what a typical client is paying for uh, for a platform. So there's plenty of room in there to do governance and oversight of what's going on. And I think that 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 might not always be true depending on the vendor, right? So if you've got a vendor who's only doing three quarters of the work or can mm-hmm. supply you the data to your oversight or is all over the place on reconciliations every day or they're not operating in a very tight manner, then obviously the oversight and governance and manager of that vendor is going to be much greater and it's going to make the proposition much less viable. I can, I can see that argument, right? Yeah. Uh, it might be that, some of the history here is as people have in the past chosen vendors, whether they be corporates or advice groups, frankly, where the, the technology was less evolved or the operating model was less tightly defined, you've ended up with kind of quite a big chunk of kind of, I, I used the expression earlier, sort of corporate apparatus or corporate overhead mm. sitting on top of this. I think that the challenge we're laying down is if you've got something which is properly digital, proper access to all the data, operating to really, really tight standards, then that is not necessarily required, right? So you're still going to do oversight, still do governance, still be responsible for this thing. But the idea that this requires 100 people or even, frankly, sometimes even more than five people. I mean, we've seen people running these things with two or three people alongside other kind of risk and governance parts of their business. So it's not um, 
It's not to say it should be taken lightly, but it doesn't mean the cost of doing it is enormous, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, someone made the observation to me recently, um, just because other people have found this highly complex and expensive doesn't mean it need always be, right? And um, there was, I, I remember years ago, actually, when, when I don't know if you remember a guy called Ned Cazalet, used to be a sort of consultant in the in the sort of life insurance and platform sector, I forget the name, Cazalet Consulting, I think. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, he made the observation at one point that when <clears throat> I think when collectively uh, Standard Life Wrap or something in Elevate had reached 20 billion pounds, right? They had spent, they'd invested 400 million pounds in capital to get to that point, right? right. At the same time, literally the same time, Nucleus Eccentric and uh, Transact had reached 20 billion collectively as well, right? So the two pools were about the same size. And I think I'm, I think I'm right in remembering that the, the, the three smaller companies or less corporate companies had I think invested forty million or something. It was one tenth of the capital to do mm-hmm. this, you know. And obviously, like Transact has obviously been a really well regarded business all the way through that. And yeah. so I, this idea that, and it's always put forward by corporates because they always say you have to have deep pockets, and that's not always the line because they want to they want to uh, preclude innovation. Um, you know, you always hear the line that you've got to have massive sums of money and massive infrastructure. And real life is that you've got to have massively complex infrastructure to run a kind of messy old insurance company or a kind of shonky asset manager. It doesn't mean that that's the only way to do it, right? And there are better ways of running companies than that than sometimes you see over there. Well, isn't the reason why um, a lot of the, certainly the, the corporate type platforms have massively complicated infrastructures because they were all pretty much kind of built up in the noughties, right? Yeah, in the early 2000s and they've evolved yes but they've been built up on legacy tech yeah and the cost of upgrading those systems over time number one it's horrendous number two yeah. you hear the migration issues um, coming out in the press um but there's also a challenge of the cost associated with those upgrades and the ongoing maintenance and it's it's one of the things there's quite a few parallels actually with what we're doing in the in the kind of client portal space yeah because we're very much aligned with the crm providers and yeah we're, we're following that journey i started my career with first software or advisor yeah. office which has only just been mothballed last month right, after all those <laughs> <Wow>. years. <laughs> and the, you know he said the good old girls had some good innings there but um again these at the time the, the biggest competitor was in teleflow yeah. And, you know, collectively, I think at the time we, we left the business, Teleflow was around, around about 25% market share, doing really well. Um, Advisor Office at its peak hit 40% market share. But it, the, the, both systems were getting overly and overly complicated. Okay. And you had to keep building new features and they were trying to become all things to all men, but not doing anything particularly well. Yeah. And those systems, given where they started off, they were built to support, not replace, support the communication processes at those times, which largely email and post, yeah. right? Not to replace them, right? But the wheels changed. Yeah. Okay. The wheels changed. Expectations have changed. Yet we didn't see the CRM providers evolve to kind of meet those expectations. I'm not complaining because it's created a marketplace for us, right? And <laughs> yeah. you know, the CRM providers have been good enough to 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 integrate with us. They haven't been too precious about tried to push their own portals. Um, yeah. But and that's because it, it, they will offer portals, um, but they're designed to, to, to surface certain information with the back office system, right? 
platform um, portfolio valuations, but there's some inherent issues with this with this type of experience. Um, if you're relying on your back office system to um, deliver your portfolio valuations, those valuations are only ever going to be as good as the data in the back office systems. And quite often firms don't really have that confidence. If you want the back office system to deliver documents securely through your portal, you can do that. But then I haven't seen any CRM provider that delivers branded push notifications down to their clients, right? It goes via email. So clients are getting an email to click on a link and expecting to trust that link to sign in to review some financial data. No. This day and age, this feels like a phishing attempt, right? Yeah, no, that's right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a challenge there that, you know, I think there's more work to be done to deliver a better digital experience. And by the time firms come to us, they, they've already road tested some sort of portal, right? Because it's, it's easy to, to go and test the yeah. CRM one because it's free of charge. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but the the reasons that we're hearing why firms are looking for sort of more, they're, they're looking for a stronger client experience. Yeah. They're looking for greater operational efficiencies, and um, they're also looking to, frankly, service more clients more profitably. Yeah. And the reason why I'm raising this is because this ties in with quite often what you mentioned at the end of some of your articles in your blogs where it's all about control versus compromise, um, low fees, uh, so low cost versus high fees, and digital versus analog, right? It's a very, very similar journey. So how can SECL help in that area? What what are you doing compared to other platforms to deliver a a stronger digital? Yeah, I I maybe should have said this at the top, actually, in terms of what we're addressing. I mean, one of the big things we're into is connectivity, right? You know, you you can access SECL through our UI, but actually most people don't. They usually use it through either something they've got themselves or um, or maybe someone like yourselves. And, and so SECL is like 100% API first company, right? It's not a bullshit line. It's not something we stick on our website. It, it lives through the company. There's, there's actually much more capability in our API than we've surfaced through the UI so far. You know, so there's a, that's how we think, right? And, and I think what becomes interesting is that you can build any journey you want on top of on top of what we or what we're doing, right? And I think where the old world was, where you know advice, financial planning was ninety five percent an offline activity and five percent online or some something like that, and whether because of COVID or just changing mindsets or all of the above, uh, we moved to a position it might be fifty fifty, right? And you you can't compromise. You, you you can't have a brilliant offline financial planning journey that feels very warm and very professional and really excellent. And then give some some people uh, people some piece of crap on a piece of technology at the end, right? Or that feels exposed to phishing attacks. It's just horrible, right? And it doesn't work. <clears throat> I've had this discussion many times. There's a firm I, I, we all know, I think, in London, very professional, really, uh, you know, feel, you walk in their office, it feels like a boutique hotel. It's really smart. They're dealing with pretty high net worth people. And you get to the end and you get this thing from their platform. And it's just like, this is not acceptable. Like, this is This is not congruous with what i've just had as a financial planning um journey and everything else has felt amazing and i get at the end i get this digital thing which which not only looks and feels horrible um feels risky right and yeah. it, and it, and then i've got to if i do a top up i've got to fill in a piece of paper piece and, and of what are you talking about i mean like seriously and so like in, in seco for example there is no paper there just isn't any the only paper we get is from fund groups selling sending us contract notes that we don't need because we've already got digital 
contract notes. So there, there is no signature. We don't even do um, electronic signatures. It's all digital authentication all the way through, right? So mm-hmm. we're not interested in engaging in a conversation about, oh, obviously we support things like vulnerable customers, but putting that to one side as a, as a you know small part of the market, we, we have to have something totally digital because through the last, especially through COVID, you know, client expectations have gone from, well, I can just about get, I'm just a bit tolerate this paper thing through to, I'm just not going to tolerate it, right? And we we actually went as a family went through a financial planning exercise recently, and it was from a love the guy, love the process, I felt really confident in the plan, you know, that what was going on, and like we got to the sort of okay, now we're going to actually do this and you know execute this thing, and it's hideous. I mean, it's just it's awful, yeah. and and it just feels you know, we've we've got um, because of our business model, we've got a bunch of clients here. You know, it's um, dealing with smaller value clients through fintechs, through sort of themed apps and things like that. You know, they're getting a much better online experience for someone saving, you know, frankly, 20 quid a month than we're giving people who've got half a million pounds. Half a million quid to invest, invest yeah. And, and it's right. just it's a massive disconnect there. It's sort of been allowed to happen. And it maybe it was allowed to happen because people sort of just didn't, people cared so much about the offline bit and they invested a lot in that. And you, you you'll see you'll see on whatever on, you know, new model advisor, or whatever financial planner. That's how I set my office up. This is the, this is the journeys I put my clients through. We don't talk enough about the, the digital part of that journey, which is frankly, increasingly vital. And, and, and probably over the long term is, is the biggest part of the relationship actually. You know? Well, um, how, how much of that is down to the actual technology providers and how much is, is down to advisors as well? Because, well, no, I think yeah, it's, it's a two-sided. It's, it's, you're right, they're both. But but the problem is, even the advisors who want to do it, it's like, um, well, I can't, right? Because my platform won't give me my data, or I can't connect. Or there's no API. So even if, so it's almost like even if the advisors all wanted to do it, it wouldn't happen, right? Yeah. And you get these ridiculous bars. And even even some platforms now are adding on APIs and connectivity afterwards. Going, well, look, we've got this shiny API. Well, you don't really. You, You've built a layer behind, between your legacy system mm-hmm. and the front end, right? You, this is not a straight through thing. Like if you if you apply on Seckle and you put your money in on your internet banking, by the time I've finished the sentence, the money's in your bank account on your account, uh, sorry, on your Seckle account. You can yeah. see it there. It's, it's not floating around here waiting to be updated tonight. It's, it's there in your account, right? And that's what I want as a client. I want to be able to see it for real. Exactly. Yeah. That. And uh, in fact, I should point out as well, because you know, we've been having conversations with your product teams, you know, Annabelle and Fasano on the yeah. proposition side. And it's quite refreshing to see um, people come forward, rather than us knocking on everyone's door saying we want an integration, we want to expand our integration. We don't just want valuations, we want transactions, etc. Yeah. We've actually had the reverse now. And, you know, Sheck yeah. is a really good example where you guys come forward and actually say we understand we we've identified quite a few friction points actually the way clients are being serviced now yeah onboarding is not as quick as it could yeah. be yeah you know money info recently launched a digital customizable digital fact find actually there's a hell of a lot of information there which either belongs to the crm system or even if it gets in there it kind of drops off a cliff and people have to start typing stuff into your platform to open up the yeah, exams. yeah. there's no reason why that information couldn't be uh, passed through that's right. Yeah. Once the even, price, sorry. Even on, even on the API side, I mean, yeah, our, our API is on the website. You you, you can see it. The, you, you can literally go and get it now and have a look yeah. at it. Yeah. We, we had a guy uh, we met about I don't know, nine months ago or something. And like he had hooked up to Seckle everything he'd built on the front end before he went to bed that night. Like, I mean, it wasn't, I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm not saying it'd been tested, but he'd gone away and taken what he'd built on the front end. He'd been looking for something like Seckle. 
and he stayed up till uh, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, whatever he did, and it was all working, right? And that that's so different to this, right? It's a six month program to get started, and I'll take another year, upgrade it, implement it, and you know, Seco's like a live thing, and it's a multi tenancy thing. You can, you know, like literally, you could was it half past twelve today? You know, you could be in our sandbox by twelve forty five. You can be messing. It's a it's, it's a live product, you know. It's a, it's a in that sense, a proper kind of SaaS thing. It's not a it is build this for you and put it into a data center and all that sort of stuff, you know. No, no, I should really point out as well is that you don't necessarily need to be technical to get your head around no, exactly, it either. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I've got to give you another good example. You know, James Pride of Pride is Wealth. Yeah. So phenomenal work in setting up his own platform. Yeah, he doesn't have any coders on his payroll. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's, it's a great example actually because they went away. We we were running, but we were we got some stuff where. We're functionally not maybe quite where we need to be, or we reckon functional parity by the summertime with most advisor platforms. But um, you know, there was a bit James we didn't have around around some of the client reporting stuff, and James went away and got some people to build that, and he built a brilliant thing on top of our API to 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 reach you know beyond what the best client reporting is in the advisor platform market. I think he did it. I can remember a couple of months or something like that. A couple of people he got in. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that all these things are possible. And if someone comes to us and says. Right, we don't like the way that Seckle does client reporting or you know whatever it is. All the stuff's there on the API to do it a different way, or even if you just want to visualize it differently, or you know, we've got some proprietary way of thinking about how you do reporting. That's fine, do do that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And um again, sticking with the the, the P1 example, the yeah. people investment management example from uh, from James. Um you know, we found it incredibly easy to work with your APIs. It, it, yeah. Number one, it was accessible. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and and again, you know, it was literally within a couple of weeks, we managed to code um, the, not just putting valuations, but also transactions and also documents, right? There's a, there's a world of documentation that gets produced off the platform. Yeah. Yet advisors have to go and generate it and then figure out a way to get it to the clients. Now it's just collected and posted on the advisor's brand through the portal. Exactly. I think Dave, when, when Dave was designing all this, you know, Dave Harvey's a, a genius founder here, you know, where he drew the line on what we wanted our capability to be, I think was really smart. So all the, all the regulatory documentation, you know, all the, you know, pension stuff, all the illustrations, that's all in the API, right? So yeah. it's not like another system over here where you got to go and pick that up. So what we've done, rather than focus on going too far out to the front and and and, and do more there we just tried to make it super neat and tidy mm -hmm. so it's that everything you need that re that might relate to a transaction or executing something is all in the api and it's just a different way of thinking really it, it is well, and the, one of the great things i saw recently and again for the listeners that might be getting frustrated with um we, we understand there's quite a lot of um, anxiety with advisors and clients when assets are getting transferred between platforms yeah. Right. You know, I urge anyone to go to the second website, view the video on the asset transfer yeah, yeah, yeah. updates where you can literally say, well, who's the seeding provider? Yeah. What, what's the plan? What's the amount? And he actually sends a request to that provider to start the asset transfer process. Yeah. And it's, it's, so, it's so funny because the friction, everyone goes on about the burden of being a platform operator and this is going to be terrible. I think James would tell you that he's got less people running a platform than he had chasing legacy platforms. That, that's the reality of it, right? So you, you've got a cost of running the platform, but you're also saving a fortune across here. So I think my understanding is, and my experience would be that the three main queries you get into a platform service team are, did you get my, is my paperwork correct? Did you get it, right? So there isn't any here, right? There's none of that, right? So that doesn't, doesn't exist. 
did you get my payment? And, uh, and, and so that when that comes in, we only we don't accept checks. We only accept digital payments. And we get this massive ratio there. So and again, we we tell the firm immediately. So the even the the round trip to the client to get the reference correct is much shorter because it's not going through through the platform and everything. Mm-hmm. And the third one is uh, what's the status of my transfers from these seeding companies, right? And as you say, we sur- we surface all that on our um, uh, transfer workbench, which is you know we we actually got another refinement of that to come. So I think when we first built it. You you be able to see everything that we can see. Uh, actually, now there's been more progress made in the back, so we can see a little bit more than you. So we're going to get that surfaced, you know, in the next few months, so that everybody can see um, everything. And then then you say, well, why do you have to contact a platform? You know, so you have a smaller customer service team. The round trip for query handling is much shorter, and you know, we, which is why you know a lot of firms have platform people anyway. They're doing the job. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah, and they're doing it, and it's sort of one arm tied behind their back because they've got to phone up these guys over here and wait in a queue for forty-five minutes to get the phone answered and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Okay. Uh, listen, David, I'm conscious of time. Um, just one last question to wrap up. Yeah, sure. What is your typical profile of firm? Who, what type of firm is suitable to strike up a conversation yeah. about the second proposition? I would say, um, so if you talk in advice firms, I think the firms we're getting the most traction with are the ones who probably got. A, a, a few hundred million of assets up. It's not the only metric because they, they they tend to be firms that are, you know, well run, good operational discipline, all that sort of stuff. You know, we've got firms. Um, I think probably is, at the moment we're speaking to probably as low as even 150, 200 million. <laughs> Excuse the dog, sorry. Um, that that's that's doable, you know. But um, but in general, it's firms who are slightly bigger. And then I say we've also got this interesting um channel idea where we if we can if we can sell out to some of the kind of advice tech and wealth tech firms that's quite interesting because that might help us kind of hit some of the market for firms that may be a little bit smaller and don't want all the responsibility but would like to get the upside of something that's totally yeah. digital and lower cost you know so that's yeah that's that's where we are that's great awesome that's brilliant well david thank you for your time it's Good really to see you, and it, i've certainly know quite a few new things about circle but um yeah, it would be great to continue the work that we're doing together. Um, no, and, uh, you know, we we find it incredibly easy to work with yourselves. So that should just give, give testament to how easy it is to to access yes. your, your your APIs and build build out your proposition from there. So um, I hope I hope for the for the audience, it was a useful session and um, I wish you a good weekend. Thank you for having me on. I'll catch you soon. OK.